Flourish Church podcast, a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic church from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, dedicated to helping you flourish in your faith. For more information about our mission and how you can get involved, please visit www.uflourishchurch.org. Good morning. It's so good. It's so good to gather together with you. It's so good to come to the word of God together. Today we, we, we meet in Romans chapter 15, but before we get into the word, would you just go into prayer with me for a moment? Lord God, God, we all come to you by that same narrow path, Lord, that same narrow gate. God, we come to you by the blood of our Savior, by the blood of our King. Holy Spirit, I ask for this time together. God, I ask for these few moments together. Lord, our our moment together this morning is brief. It's a a vapor. Ah, but what the wind can do. Lord, what the Spirit of God is able to do, God, I ask that you would do that which only you are able to do. Lord, I ask that you would do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask, think, or imagine. Lord, I surrender these moments into your hands. In your holy name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Are are you familiar with the game Rock, Paper, Scissors. It's a simple game. You're you're gonna take your hand and and make it into the shape of of, of a rock, a piece of paper, or scissors, and your opponent is going to do the same. Now, Rock smashes scissors and wins. Scissors cuts paper and and wins, and and paper uh, wraps and and, and hides the rock and wins. It's it's a simple game. It's a game that that I feel like I've played a billion times. But there was this one time that will always forever be etched in my brain. I was was visiting some extended family, and and for the first time, I I met my niece. Here's this six-year-old girl, and she asked me if I would play rock, paper, scissors with her. And I said, of course I would. So we start to play. We're playing rock, paper, scissors, and in the beginning, I am trying to be predictable so that the six-year-old can have some success. And it's, and it's going fine. It's going fine. It's working so well that I began to introduce a little bit of unpredictability so that I could win some of the time. But she didn't like that. (laughs) So it came time. I, I thought she was going to put down paper. So I went to put down scissors, and here's how it went down. We went rock paper, scissors, and when I put down my scissors, I look over and this little girl is doing this. And I said, what, what, what is this? What, what is this? And she said, that's 
fire. Fire. Fire melts scissors, burns paper, and it can even crack rocks. And I said, you can't do that. It's the name of the game. You cannot do that. And she said, I just did. And that's when I made a decision. I'm, I'm going to burn this whole thing down. From now on, I don't care what you put. I'm throwing fire. I will outlast you. I will, I, listen, I, until the cows come home, I am putting down fire. So then we went, we went rock, paper, scissors. And when I went like this, she went like this. And she said, that's rain. <laughs> and I just quenched your fire. And she keeps changing things on me. She just keeps changing it up on me. Every time I thought I had my feet under me, things would change. And sometimes life is like that. Sometimes life is like that. Sometimes we're in a position and we think we got it under, but then things change for their betterment and our downfall. Sometimes things change for the maker, for the ruler of the game in a way that benefits them, but causes us harm. Sometimes we're in relationships like that. Sometimes we're in positions like that. Sometimes we're in careers like that. Sometimes we even do that to ourselves. Now, here's how it works. You think you got it figured out, and then it changes for your downfall. Now imagine with me, imagine if there was a place in this world, imagine if there was a place in this world where the opposite was true. Imagine that there was a place where the opposite was true, where things changed, even if it cost another person, but for your betterment. Imagine that there was a place where people change things, even when it costs them highly for your betterment. And the Apostle Paul is making the argument that that is precisely what the body of Christ should be. This, this we're supposed to be this united body. And of course, in the church, we have differences. But the same Christ died, and he died on the same cross. You and I are washed with the same blood. It's the same spirit that empowers us. In our differences, we should be united. But how do we maintain unity? How do we work out our differences? to maintain unity in the body of Christ. Paul's gonna explain that to us. Verse chapter 15, 
Picking up at verse one. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at me with verse one. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Paul says in this church that is supposed to be united because we are purchased with the same blood, we are empowered by the same spirit. How do we work out our differences? How do we do that? The apostle Paul says, listen, I'm gonna need the mature to step up and lead. I'm gonna need the strongest to step out and do this. And he says, we who are strong have an obligation. We have an obligation. We, we owe this. We owe this, and my question to you, if you are mature, if you are strong, is how did you get strong? How? Did you do that? Was it you that took yourself out of weakness, or was it the Holy Spirit? Was it you that transformed yourself from what you used to be into something new? Was it you that did that? No. It was the spirit that, like the wind, moves in a way that you can't tell where he's coming from and where he's going. You are who you are because Christ spilled his blood. You are who you are because Christ sacrificed himself and the spirit filled you up. You are strong because he made you strong. Now you owe this. It's our obligation. Now Paul has been saying this is still an overflow from a fountain that he opened up a few chapters ago and he can't figure out how to close. He opened up this fountain that says, let your love be genuine. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Honor one another above yourself. How do you do that? Well, if you're strong, you bear with the failings of the weak. You bear with the, with the failings of the weak. And, and, and somewhere else, Paul says this. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Do you want to fulfill the instruction of who Jesus is? Then get up under someone else's burden and lift 
that up. We who are strong, oh, we have this obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And so, so when we lock horns with another believer, right? You ever seen those, 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 those TV shows? I mean, I'm talking about TV because I do not want to see this live, right? But when those mountain goats like lock horns with one another, right? And they're like trapped and they're not, there's this stalemate. Who's going to win this? In the body of Christ, we who are strong, we have the obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please, not to focus on ourselves. Verse two, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. As soon as we hear these words, these ancient and beautiful words should come to the forefront of our minds, should course through our veins, should be our very heartbeat. Jesus said, love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor and love your neighbor I love your neighbor. Paul says, let's make that work out, right? It's one thing for you to declare, I love my neighbor. Paul says, show it to me. Show it to me by doing this. Do not try to please yourself. Instead, put your neighbor ahead of you for his good. It's for his good. It's for his good. Now, Paul has already said this in Romans. Listen, God works all things together somehow beyond my ability or yours to grasp and, 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 and puzzle piece this thing together and see it. But somehow God works all things together for the good, for the good of those who love him. And now Paul is saying, listen, why don't you join in? Why don't you join in to what God is up to by thinking more highly of your neighbor, by doing what is good for your neighbor? When we lock horns as believers, we should be able to push ourselves to the back and lift our neighbors up to the front. Sometimes when we, sometimes when we self-diagnose, Sometimes when we self-diagnose to figure out how we're doing spiritually, I think we look internally. And I'm telling you, that is good. That is good. Hear me. That is good. I want you to, like, what, what are the things that are churning in your brain? What is your prayer life? What's your communication with God like? Are you in the scriptures? Are you in his word? Are you at his feet like Martha, listening to his instructions? Is that what you are up to? And I think that is brilliant and beautiful and good. But I think sometimes we stop a little bit short. And where we stop short is that we stop internally and we don't ask ourselves, am I for my brother? Am I for my sister? Am I helping this brother? Am I helping this sister? Let each of us please himself, uh, excuse me, 
Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For, verse 3 tells us, Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, Jesus is the one that's saying those words prophetically. The reproaches, the insults of those who insulted you fell on me. Now, we who are strong have an obligation to bear up with the failings, with the weaknesses of our brothers and sisters. We owe that. And Paul says, because, because Christ did it first. How did he do that? The insults of those who insulted God fell on him. You remember the end of Jesus' life? Do you remember when he's coming to the end of his life? The crowds are building up and they're chanting, you can save others? Why, why can't you save yourself? The insults are starting to fly in. They're mocking him. They're, 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 they're dressing him up. They're ridiculing him. They're dehumanizing him. And what Paul is saying is that he expected this from 700 years before. We knew this was coming. The insults directed at God, the attacks directed at God, Jesus paid for that. And who, who threw those insults at him? Who threw that? It was the crowds. And in the words of one of my favorite hip hop songs, you miss the point if you don't see your face in the crowd. That's you, that's me. And Jesus is saying the reproaches, the insults of those who insulted God fell on me. Jesus took it. Jesus took the hard, Jesus took the bad, Jesus took the injustice, he took the hit to lift you up. Jesus took the hit to lift me up. And now we owe it to return that favor and we ought to be copycats of him we ought to model that this now here this is like looking at this verse it's like looking under the hood to see the motor that drives this thing why should we who are strong put our brothers and sisters in front of us because that's precisely what our savior did. That's precisely of the one who laid down his life for you and me, that's what he did. He was taunted, he was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was tortured, he was dehumanized for you. He died, he suffered for you. No matter where you are, no matter what your background, no matter your difficulty, no matter the catalog of mess ups that is behind you, he died for you. Verse four, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I love this. This is an important verse because one of the things that Paul has been saying again and again and again and again and again in the book of Romans is this, we're no longer under the law. 
We're no longer in the law. Our relationship with God is no longer based on the law. It's based on the blood. So we might be tempted to say, well, let's toss out then that Old Testament. If we're not under the law anymore, well, what am I supposed to do with that? And Paul explains. He says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. It was written for you. As much as was written in the past was written for you. The story of Job, that was written for you. All of those sweet psalms of reflection and anger and difficulty and confusion, that was written for you. The story of Ruth was written for you. Why? So that through the encouragement and through the endurance of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, I love that word, through. Through. Sometimes you gotta go through. Sometimes you can go around, but sometimes you gotta go through, right? I love taking care of shoes. So when I see a puddle, I go around, right? I go all the way around. None of that belongs on my shoes. But there are some things you gotta go through. Ladies, you can't go around labor. Some of you might wish that you could go around it, but there's no other way. You gotta go through it. Now, the beauty of that, what's on the other side, right? There's something precious to be treasured on the other side, but you can't go around it. You gotta go through it, right? So all of these words of the scriptures, all of those sweet stories are for you that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, you might have hope. Do you want hope? Turn to the scriptures. Do you wanna find hope? Do you wanna live in hope? Live in those scriptures. Verse five, may the God of endurance and encouragement, we gotta go through it. May the God of encouragement and the God of endurance grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. It is God's work. It is God's work. Now, God, he is asking God to do this. And God is good on his task. There's no question about whether or not this is going to happen. Now, he is saying this. Uh, uh, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Right? It's not about you thinking like me. It's not about getting you to think exactly like me. But it's also not about getting me to think like you. It's about you and me both becoming more like Christ and hence closer one to another. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That all of these diverse beings with all of these differences may come together and united may call out praise to the God of this universe with one singular voice, united in worship of him, 
Now, I want you to picture that. I want you to picture the seriousness of that. We have people from all kinds of different places and all kinds of differences with one voice crying out together, praising God. That's exactly what we see in the book of Revelation. We see people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation, from every ethnicity, every people group, sitting around together, around the throne, worshiping God. That's what it's going to be like. But what Paul is saying is this. We're supposed to be a foretaste of that. We're supposed to be a sneak preview of that. You ever, you ever been around a great chef and he's, he's making this massive feast or she's making this massive feast, right? And they take a spoon and they just take a little bit of it and they bring it over to you and they say, you gotta try this. It's not the finished product yet. It's just a little taste of what's coming. It's just a little taste for what's coming. You're gonna get a little bit of it and you're gonna want more, but you're gonna have to wait. It's coming. And what Paul is saying, that's what the church should be. The church should be a little sneak preview the church should be that little spoonful ahead of time saying, you got to taste this. You got to taste this. Something greater is coming. Verse 7, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Verse five tells us that, that it is God who gives us the, the, the encouragement and the endurance so that we would have the mind of Christ together. That's God's work. Verse six, the, the, the desire for that is so that we would be that sneak preview, that we would be that spoonful ahead of time of what God will one day be. Verse seven then tells us, here is what we do in light of what you just heard. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Receive one another as Christ received you. When you come to Jesus, you come with bloody hands and nothing to offer. We come to Christ if you, think you are, if you think you're dragging something good to offer, if you think you're bringing some benefit along, you don't get it yet. This is a gracious gift. It's a gift of grace alone offered to you. Christ offers you the gift of salvation, his death on the cross for you. 
That's what he did. He welcomed us. He welcomed us when we had nothing to offer. And Paul is saying, in light of that, now you become a copycat. You imitate that. You've seen the blueprint. Now you walk that. Welcome one another. If somebody comes with stuff that you don't think should be in there, wasn't that you when you came to Christ? If you think this person can't come in yet because they don't have stuff figured out just yet, isn't that when you came to Christ? So what Paul is saying is, listen, welcome one another. Don't worry about those differences. Don't worry about those differences. Isn't the foundation of the blood of Jesus big enough to sustain those differences? Is divine blood not enough to undergird us and keep us from falling apart? Now listen, verse five says, here's what God is doing, that through encouragement and endurance, we might have hope, the mind of Christ together. Verse six is the goal that with one voice we would come together. Then verse seven is the little role that we play in this, welcome one another, right? So, so, so can you picture the conveyor belt? Picture the conveyor belt. Here's what God is doing. Here's, here's what God is bringing into the picture, right? He's doing it in such a way that we would glorify him with one voice. And then our little role at the end is to welcome one another, if it's not working, where do you think the problem is? It's not in God's hands. It's not in the part that he's done. It's not in his making this possible. So we need to come to welcome one another as we have been welcomed by Christ. Verse eight, because I tell you, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. You read that verse at first glance and you're like, seems like there's a lot of heady stuff in there. Confirmations, promises, patriarchs. I love this verse. Look what Paul is saying. For I tell you that Christ became a servant. He became a servant to the circumcised. That's the Jews, the nation of Israel, to show God's truthfulness. Now listen to this. In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, here's a different way of saying that. Whatever promises God ever made, whatever promise God ever made, they all come true when Jesus steps into the planet. You got this entire testament. You got this entire Old Testament starting in the book of Genesis and ending in Malachi, making all of these promises. Now, a promise is words. A promise is words. It has not come into existence yet. It's telling you that it will, but it has not yet arrived. And what Paul is saying that every promise 
that God has ever made becomes true, becomes a yes, becomes a here it is in Jesus. Now, here's the beauty of that. Here is the sweetness of that. Because every promise that God made to, to Adam and then to Abraham and then to David, they all come true in the person of Jesus. And here's the sweetness of that. God made this promise to David that went something like this. David said, God, I live in this palace and you live in a little tent. I'm gonna build you a house. And God goes, did I ask you for a house? You, you, think, you think I need you to build me a house? No. I'll build you a house. I'm going to build you a legacy. I'm going to make it so that from your offspring, from your offspring, a king will rule forever. A king is coming to rule, and he's coming from you, David. He's coming from your offspring. He's coming from the son of your 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 son. He's coming. He's coming. And he will rule forever. Now, here's the problem that the first descendants of David had. Right? David comes and he has a son called Solomon. You know what Solomon's problem was? Well, a lot. But you know what Solomon's biggest problem was? He died. You can't rule forever if you die. Jesus died and then came back up. He died and then he resurrected. He died and then he conquered sin. And your king, all the promises that God made to the patriarchs are confirmed in Jesus. We now have a king that will not die. We have a king that will rule forever. But God made a promise to Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham. He said, Abraham, in you, in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. The curse will be reversed in you, in your offspring. In you, every nation of the world will be blessed. Nigerians, Brazilians, Japanese, Australians, all over the world. Every nation gets its blessing through you, Abraham. And then Jesus comes and he dies and his, his, his blood offers forgiveness. That means that our sins are removed, that the curse gets removed the curse is removed and every nation is blessed. Every nation gets the offer of salvation in the person of Jesus. God, Jesus confirms the promises given to the patriarchs. And there's, there's this one last one that I wanna share with you. Adam, you know, that dude messed up. That dude was in a perfect garden and everything was good, and he disobeyed. And God made a promise. He said, listen, there's gonna be, he, he's talking to a, he's talking to the adversary, and he said, there's gonna be hostility between you two. There's gonna be animosity between you two, but somebody's coming, and he's gonna stomp on the head of this snake. 
right? Victory is coming in Christ. Victory is coming in Jesus. Victory comes because in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, every promise that God has ever made comes to its fruition in Jesus. Now, read with me, verse 9, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. I want you to hear how many times he says the word Gentiles in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, the son of David, even who, who, he who arises, resurrects to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. The Gentiles are the nations. That's you. That's me. That's every nation. Church, this is the You Flourish dream. This is our heart for multi-ethnicity. We're not trying to be cute. We're not trying to be different. It's anchored in ancient promises. But we're incapable of it because of our sin. We're desperate for the gospel. There's this Nazarene carpenter. God became a human being, was tortured, massacred, cruelly for us. And now there's, there's only one way into this. There's only one way, and it's through the blood of Christ. But this is the desire that those promises made to Adam, those promises made to Abraham, that promise made to David, all of it comes true in Jesus. And church, you and I, everyone who has trusted in him is in him. We're the fulfillment of that promise. That's why we need to be united. That's why we need to be welcoming of one another. Because our very, if we walk faithfully in this, our very existence will proclaim the sweetness of the gospel. I want to close this morning with the by praying for us, by praying for you, by praying together precisely and exactly what Paul prayed for them. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.